Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. As we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. I'm so excited to share God's word with you this morning. Um, And a couple of weeks ago, I I came up here and I spoke about a few of Jesus' parables. The first one was the treasure hidden in the field. And then the next one was the parable of the pearl of great price. And this morning we're going to talk about another one of Jesus' parables. But this one's interesting because he referenced this at least three times as a parable and referring to us as salt. So before we get into the sermon, let's talk about what parables are. Just a little reminder, they are short stories or analogies that are fiction, but they are rooted in truth. And in some translations, it, the, the Bible refers to them as riddles of old. And I love, I love that because it reminds me of like Lord of the Rings or something. And, uh, and so I just, I just love that riddles of old. Uh, now the word parable comes from the Hebrew word parabolo, which para means alongside you. And you're going to hear that a lot today. Uh, Balo meaning is, is meaning a teaching or a lesson to be learned. So a few weeks ago, we had the men's fishing trip. And believe it or not, parables have a, little, a lot more in common with fishing than you might think. Obviously, we know who the fisherman is. He was the one casting out the parables, and it's Jesus. And so Jesus would cast out these parables, and the truth would land right alongside their ear. And some would bite that parable, and they would listen, and they would catch on, and they would get it, while others would not. So I remember back in elementary school, um, they would have Dare come to speak at, at our classes. Do you guys remember Dare? Um, and they would use this shock value to kind of scare kids into not smoking or drinking or doing drugs, Um, and they would show us these pictures. Uh, One of them was a set of healthy lungs, and then they would show you a set of, of smokers' lungs, and they'd be all black and shriveled, and that was enough evidence for me. That was a little nine or ten year old Colton. I was like, no way. That I've seen enough. I don't, I don't ever want to go down that road. I got it immediately. Um, and then they showed us a picture of some, some car crashes. And uh, it was a result of drunk driving. And they were pretty gruesome. And they also showed us some pictures of a healthy liver next to an alcoholic's liver. And again, I was out. I didn't even drive yet. And I never wanted to get in a car again. Um, and, uh, and let alone drinking and driving. And then they showed us kind of a time lapse of people's faces before they started methamphetamines. And then after a few years, you see the degradation of their face. And it was called the faces of of meth. Do you guys remember seeing those? Did you ever see those before? And so um, you had this really pretty young lady starting off, and she was maybe 20-something. And then it showed her face every single year as she was using this, and uh, at the end, she may have been 20-something, but she looked like she was 80, um, and that was enough for me. Again, uh, I said I would never do meth. No way. I 
you, like they did exactly what they were supposed to do by showing up to my school and giving me that, that knowledge. And then we all knew, you know, the people who would sit in the back and kind of laugh at the pictures who didn't care about the word that they were given, that knowledge. And then unfortunately, some of them would fall into that same temptation as they get older. And that's exactly what parables are like. That's like a modern day parable, but it's, it's, it's not really uh, spiritual in any way where those parables that Jesus preached were, um, were spiritual. And so some would receive that knowledge and be blessed while others would not and they would be cursed because of it, just like the people in the dare presentation. So remember when Jesus would preach to people other than his disciples, he would only speak to them in parables. And there's a reason why he did that. See, there, the, the truth hidden within the parable was meant for some, but it was not meant for all. And it serves as a judge. Now, you'll either receive that hidden knowledge, like I said, and be blessed, or you would not receive it and you would turn away and you would walk away from that, that precious knowledge that Jesus was giving solely based on how they respond to it. And it's important to note that whenever I say cursed, I don't mean anything like witchcraft or voodoo, but I think you would agree with me if you don't receive a blessing from God, you might as well see that as a curse. Um, and it could eventually lead to them being damned by, not, by simply not listening to that knowledge, not taking that first step and not moving as the Lord asks them to move. And sometimes it's a difficult idea to wrap our heads around. So let's look at it this way. Parables are eternal truth, eternal truth that have existed since time began. Jesus was the word and the word was with God. So that being said, these parables and this knowledge has always been around. Uh, and they exist in both the physical world as we stand in here and the spiritual world. And as believers, we completely understand this idea that there are two different realms. There's the spiritual realm, which we cannot see. And there is the physical realm with things we can touch. So um, things that we can feel in this world, things that we can't feel in that world. Things that we can see in this world, things that we can't see in that world. And I, I'm, I know that there are times where God gives us a glimpse of that spiritual realm, but I praise God that I don't see that spiritual realm because I'd, I'd probably freak out. Um, so there's a Russian man. His name is Emmanuel Velikovsky, and he is, he's not a believer, but he was a scientist and he was a pretty brilliant man. And in 1950, he wrote a book, and it's called Worlds in Collision. You may have read this book in high school, um, because I know that it was in those science circles. And he basically theorized, not in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense, that at the same time, in the same place, there could be two worlds existing simultaneously, without either or knowing it. He said that as we're sitting here in this basketball gym right now, there could possibly be a train going right through it and that train would have their own passengers and their own uh, schedules and their own jobs and everything like we live our lives now, it could be the other way just in a different world or realm. 
And remember, this guy's a scientist, but as Christians, we can kind of see what he's getting at. He didn't quite get there, but, um, but as you and I and believers, we, we see that missing part, what he missed. And so um, you and I would agree, without a doubt, I believe, that the spiritual world does exist. And in fact, I'm more sure of that world than I am of this world these days, because uh, this world is, is just weird. Um, and it's unpredictable. And man um, is just completely insane. So you see these parables, they, they sound like they are spoken, and they're spoken as they're a physical realm. Uh, but Actually, they are very much, just as much of the spiritual world and our eternal truths. You could even say that these parables uh, cause the two worlds to collide. But only if you have ears to hear. So as we read scripture, it starts physically as words on the page, but then it, does, it has a spiritual effect in our lives and it will change our lives. And as... Uh, Let's look at John chapter 17. That's the first scripture that we're going to get into today. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father before he was arrested. And it's pretty incredible because he first prays for himself, then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for us, the church. But they, didn't, they, didn't, they had no idea the church was going to exist at this time. Um, and, and Michael preached on this last week, but let's look at it again. So uh, this is... John chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son and the son that the son may glorify you. Even you give him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This eternal life that you that they may know you and only the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So those five verses, Jesus is praying specifically for himself. um, And we are kind of seeing the collision of the earthly world, and the spiritual world. See, Jesus, who was of the spiritual world, he was with God before the heaven and earth was even formed. And he, that, so that's that spiritual world. And he became flesh, meaning he came into the spiritual world. And then again, his flesh of the, I'm sorry, he came into the, the, the physical world. And then his flesh of that physical world was sacrificed so in, cha- in exchange for our gift of eternal life, which takes us back to the spiritual world. Now let's hear what he has to pray for his disciples. I have manifested your name. This is verse six. I have manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you have given me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth 
from you. And they believed that you sent me. So now he's talking about the New Testament being the word. The New Testament hasn't been written yet. And so Jesus is the word and he gave the disciples all of that word. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So these disciples, they are set apart from the world. And I'll get back to that shortly. Verse 10, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Uh, and so right now he's talking about that everlasting life. He's, yet, he's asking the Lord to keep them in the world and spread the word of God. Verse 12, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the, wor in the world, so that they may have joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. So again, Jesus knows that the disciples must remain in the world and take the word with them. Otherwise, if he had, if it was a snap like that and they went into heaven with him, then we wouldn't have the New Testament. We wouldn't have this today. So now we're starting back at verse 16. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For the sakes I for their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So remember, all of those were speaking specifically for the disciples. But as Gentiles, watch this. This is the best part. Verse 20. I do not ask on, the, on, on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and me and, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So everything... In those last two verses, everything he just prayed now gives us that same prayer as the disciples. So that's what's the, I, I just get chills and I get excited about that because we are his disciples and we're meant to do the same exact thing that he was sent, had sent them to do. So let's go back to verse 15 though. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. It, and it would be so nice I'm kind, of, I'm kind of joking, but it would be so nice if Jesus hadn't prayed that part of the prayer. And as soon as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you do disappear. Just bam, you're gone. You never have to deal with any of that pain and that heartache of the world again. Um, but we have work to do. So this morning we're going to talk about that work and what it is we're meant to do. And um, 
we're going to talk about that parable. And that parable is being salt of the earth. Now, what's interesting, like I said before, is that there's three separate instances that Jesus used this imagery referring to us as salt. And Jesus would start by saying something that everyone can agree with. It's kind of funny because in one of the verses that we'll cover today, he says, he starts by saying, salt is good. And, uh, and so that would kind of get everybody's attention. And, and at that time, salt was a very precious commodity. And so everyone would say, well, yeah, salt is good. And I, how can anyone disagree with that? And then because it's so obvious, their ears have been perked and they're listening to what he has to say next. So to kind of start off this parable, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So this scripture in Matthew is specifically a parable that Jesus preached on the sermon or in the Sermon on the Mount. And we will come back to that one. It's a very, very important one. Now let's go to Luke chapter 14. Verse 34. Unlike Mike, I'm going to give you guys some time to turn there. (laughs) So Luke chapter 14, verse 34. Therefore, salt is good. But even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? This is verse 35. It is useless either for the soil or the manure pile. So it is thrown out. The one who has ears, let him hear. Now, this was a separate occasion that Jesus spoke about and referenced salt. And then this is the third one, Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. This is the one I was talking about earlier. He says, salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Now, uh, I've, I've, in my research of, of putting this sermon together, I noticed that a lot, of, a lot of pastors stop right there and kind of ignore everything that comes before it. And uh, specifically this one, it's, it's pretty important. Uh, so let's go just a couple verses back before Jesus says this about salt. And uh, this is one of the many passages that Jesus preached on hell. And that's something that you don't hear in many church these, churches these days, is pastors preaching on hell or sin. And uh, I've even heard pastors say, well, we don't, we don't want to preach on sin or hell. We don't want to preach anything negative. We just want to preach on the words of Jesus, His love and His mercy. Well, let me tell you, if you go to BibleHub.com, This is not a paid advertisement, by the way. Uh, But if you go to BibleHub.com and search for the word hell, you will find that about 80% of the verses that come up are Jesus' words, his, his sermons that he preached. And he actually preached on hell more than any other person in Scripture. And if you search for sin, about 50% of the verses that come up are from Jesus' sermons as well. So it's funny that, to me, that it's almost impossible to find a sermon about either one of those topics today. But that's not how we do it here at 
Bright Star Bible Church. So we're going to look at the full sermon of hell in full. Uh, And that starts at Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone hung around his neck and he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with having two hands to go to hell into unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eyes cause you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, this one's an interesting one. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt becomes unsalty, what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now, I seriously discourage any of kind of self-mutilation. Do not do that. That's, that's not what the Lord is telling you to do. Uh, in fact, he's just emphasizing how serious sin is. And we need to do basically whatever is necessary to deal with it, right? Cutting off the limb is the furthest extreme possible. Some actual countries um, and some religions do take that uh, to heart, and they do do that. So uh, we're not one of those. Um, so don't go cutting off any of your body parts, please. So uh, again, everyone will be salted with fire. What could that possibly mean? So this is interesting because if we turn just a few pages back to Leviticus um, chapter 2, it's not a few pages back, that's, that's a, a pastor joke. Uh, <laughs> chapter 2, verse 13 Here we see instructions that the Lord has given Moses for all offerings made to the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. Every grain offering is yours. Moreover, you shall season it with salt, so that the salt of the covenant for your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So this verse about being salted in fire is pretty difficult to understand. Um, But as believers, we are purified through suffering and persecution. The same as burnt offerings. There are some churches that might preach that if you become a Christian, as long as you have enough faith, that you're going to walk a bed of roses and that... Christian life is going to be simple and easy. And that is just not the truth. Um, God does not intend for us to have, uh, to live a a bed of roses. Uh, It's a long and it's a difficult road to travel. And it teaches us that we must lean on Christ alone because without him, we can't endure the hardships of this world. We can't do it without it. And that's okay. These tribulations that we endure are meant to sharpen us. Something that Brett and I had talked about is 
iron sharpening iron, iron sharpening iron. And, and that doesn't feel good. It hurts. It's painful. But they teach us to lean on Christ. See, every trial and tribulation that we go to, it brings us closer and closer to Christ. Because if you've ever been through tribulation, you, you know that this, this pride saying, I can, I can make it, I can do it on my own, you'll get stomped out pretty quick. So Jesus, this is interesting, Jesus told Peter that Satan would come for you. And what Jesus didn't say is that I'm going to stop him. Right? He says, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to hold you up. It was absolutely, positively necessary for Peter to betray Christ. And when Jesus said, all of you will betray me, what did Peter say? Not me, Lord. I'm loyal. I have what it takes. I've got the right stuff. Let me show you how great I can be for you. Listen, Peter had to be emptied. He had to be humbled. He had to be crushed with such heart-wrenching pain so that the Lord could use him. Now, my prayer for all of you is that you leave here, leave here either happy as can be, ready to go into the, the, the world and be salty, or uh, you're completely angry with me for some of the things that I preach, and we can talk about that. And I, I would love to talk about that. But I will have failed all of you today if you walk out of here with no change of heart. Just ho-hum. So let's get back to the original parable from the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5. 13. So back to Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. First off, notice he doesn't say you must be salt. He doesn't say you have to go do salty stuff. Uh, he says, you are salt. That's who you are. And, you know, you might ask, well, what does that mean? How can I tell um, if I'm being salty or not? Well, Scripture tells us exactly what, what we are and that our identity is in Christ. And so let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 26. Galatians 5, 19 through 26. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy, and rage, rivalries, divisions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those, things, uh, pr those practices such as these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, now, not to be... Legalistic, because we don't stand for that here in, uh, in, at, Bible, at Bright Star. Um, but basically what that is saying is that these things will keep you from becoming who you are meant to be in Christ. That's the opposite of salt. And notice there's a lot more of them than what is this, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. So let's get into that, because this tells us exactly who we are. In Christ, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Such things, against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. So, you, you see, we don't have to do anything because the Bible already tells us who we are. And this world is so obsessed with image and identities. You know, the he, her, they, them thing going on right now. But our identities are in Christ alone. And we had a conversation before, this, uh, before I started the sermon, and it went very much that way. I don't care if you were a thief. You're not a thief anymore. I don't care if you were addicted to, por- to pornography. You're not an addict anymore. And I don't care if you're an alcoholic. You're not an alcoholic anymore. You are in Christ Jesus. That's where your identity lies. Now, unfortunately, this parable of being salt of the earth, it's often used the wrong way and it's taken out of context as we see Scripture so often these days. Uh, It's often used to promote a sort of militant Christianity, the idea that we have to go out there and we have to change the world and that we have to have Jesus marches and that we have to preach in the streets, that we have to witness to everybody, which I would say none of those things are bad, But let's look at this scripture deeper like we did last time. First, we need to talk about what salt is. So salt was a very valuable uh, commodity in ancient times. In fact, to the Romans, it was more valuable than gold because it was so difficult to obtain. See, they would have to go to the Dead Sea and they would have to scoop this salt out and let the water evaporate, and then there the salt is, but it's diluted, it's got nastiness in it, and so you'd go to the market, you'd buy a bag of salt, and sometimes it's really salty, and sometimes it's not salt at all, because salt is completely pure. See, you cannot make salt not salt. If something gets into it and dilutes it, it's not salt anymore. And at the same time, you couldn't live without salt. You absolutely had to have it. It was dire for trade. And like I said, the markets, they would salt the meat so it could be out a little bit longer. And and we all know that salt has certain qualities. First and the most obvious use for it is flavoring food and giving it taste. Uh, And in the military, if any of you have ever been in the military... Uh, they give us MREs, and some of them are pretty delicious, while others are the complete opposite. And uh, especially after sitting out in the hot sun all day, amen? <laughs> um, and if you've ever had an MRE, you know that they give you a little baggie of goodies. And in that baggie of odds and ends, they give you a nice big pack of salt. Uh, Because you can make just about anything taste better with just a little bit. So second, salt is a preservative. Uh, It keeps food from going bad and it slows rot and decay. They would even sprinkle salt on uh, human and animal feces to kill the odor. They would throw it in the streets and it would keep 
weeds from growing in between the stones. And, and even today, they still, some, some cultures still do this, but whenever a baby is born, they will powder it with salt to kill all kinds of unwanted things at bay. And that's basically what they use with salt. It had so many, it was like the multi-tool of the ancient times. You could do all kinds of stuff with it. And like I said, salt is absolutely pure. Uh, it can only be diluted with other substances, whether it's good or bad. It might just become seasoning, but it's no longer salt. So the believer is a person who should restrain corruption with those around them just by being you, just by being who Lord, the Lord tells you you are. You see, no matter where we are in the world, our influence makes the world just a little bit better, just a little bit more palatable. And our influence by its very nature should simply promote holiness and purity. But what does it mean to be holy? Because whenever I think of holy, all I can think of is the Lord. I, I can't think of anything else. So my definition of holiness is to love God as he loves himself and laying down ourselves in devotion to God. That is what we have to promote by our very nature. When we walk in the room, we should be the shining light on the hill just by our nature. We're not just rule keepers, though. We, we, are, we should still have a sense of obedience and following the Lord's law. Um, but our lives are more than just obedience. It should reflect His beauty as well. We are but servants of the Lord, reflecting His Spirit and His influence to those around us. We are so concerned with doing, doing, doing when we really need to be concerned with being, being, being. Listen to me, husbands. Our problems with our marriages exist simply because we are not like Jesus in every aspect of our lives. In fact, every problem that you deal with on a daily basis is because we are not enough like Jesus. You must pursue God so that you will be transformed by Him. And that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes from. That's where those, those, that peace, love, joy, gentleness comes from. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? Like I said, salt is pure. And it's impossible for it to become pure. So what is Jesus saying here? You see, if salt becomes unsalty or tasteless, it's no longer salt. And salt has certain characteristics, and we talked about those. So how does that apply to you and me? Jesus is saying that genuine discipleship, the disciple that can impact this world, who can purify it, and give it taste and flavor, that disciple has certain characteristics. So what are those characteristics? Unfortunately, this parable, it's always being separated, again, from the text before it. 
and the text that comes before it, we find all of the, all of the characteristics to be the disciple that God can use to change the world. We, they're called Beatitudes, and we can look at those now. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, notice that God doesn't call on the wise or the noble or the people who know everything, people who have these perfect lives, because you can't be a tool for God unless you completely empty yourself. And that is the mark of Christianity. Prosperity preachers will teach that God wants nothing more than for you to be prosperous and healthy. And as long as you have enough faith, you will, fall, you will never fall upon hardship. But that couldn't be further from the, from the truth. It's a complete lie because life here on earth is not our goal. This easy life, is, that's not what we should be searching for. Our goal is to be like Christ and to be servants of God. And in order to be servants of God, we must be impoverished in spirit. And the only way we can be impoverished in spirit is for God to completely empty us of ourselves. Remember Peter, not me, Lord, I have the right stuff. I could never betray you. I would never betray you. He had to be emptied. You see, the weaker that we become, the more untrusting in yourself you are. And the more untrusting you are in men, the more you'll cling to Christ. If you are poor, if you are poor in spirit, therefore you are salt. Blessed are those who mourn. This is verse 4. They shall be comforted. So this is interesting because the Christian life is full of paradoxes. We were just talking about joy. Joy only second to love, by the way. You're going to heaven, Jesus says, but he also says you don't even know the way. But then he says, I'm the way. And you are to be full of joy, but we're supposed to mourn. You have nothing, therefore you have everything. How does that even work? Here's how it works. By cultivating a relationship with Jesus Christ, His light the more you'll start to see the sin in your own life and the more you'll start to see the sin around you in your life and it will lead you to mourning. Did you know that you can be so far away from Christ's light that you can actually practice sin and be completely blind to it? I've been there myself. I've seen it in my own life. And I mourn because of it. This morning I was listening to worship on my, on my drive-in and the, I could barely see because the tears were just pouring out of my eyes. And it's, it's this weird mixed emotion of I, I, I mourn for what I had to go through, but I am so joyful that Christ pulled me out of it. Amen. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. In Psalms 37, I wish we could get into this one. I don't have quite enough time. But write this down and read this one on your own. In, th- in, in Psalms 37, we see a beautiful imagery uh, 
of those who trust the Lord and remain calm and righteous, even when the wicked ones plot against them. And it talks about the Lord's justice being brought upon uh, the wicked ones who come after them. And it teaches that the gentle will abide in the Lord forever. Write, write that one down, please, and, and read through that one because it's, it's fantastic, uh, but it's pretty long. Number, uh, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, don't, don't hunger and thirst to be something. Long to be righteous as the Lord is righteous. If you have trusted in Christ, you have already been justified and have already been declared righteous. But walk in that righteousness. Know His commandments and follow them with all of your heart. Seek Him more and be, be like Him. And, and never, ever be content with where you are in your relationship with Christ. It's so easy to get complacent. Long for that. Because Jesus sets the bar, we'll, and it's an unreachable bar. So we just got to keep going. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is difficult. Especially in the world that we live in today. And in fact, this is something that I struggle with daily. But we have to be merciful. Because if there's no mercy for them, how can there be mercy for us? One of the pastors that I watched when preparing for this sermon, he said that he was going to a church and there was a person in the church who had done absolutely terrible things. It was a woman. And everyone in the church knew about it. And they had an invitation to come up and ask for prayer. And after he got done speaking, she starts walking up. And he went down and he prayed for her. And everyone in the church was disgusted by it. And they asked, one, one person asked them, how can you pray for her? And he turned and said, I have to pray for her. Our most righteous moments are only good enough to send us to hell. So praise the Lord for His mercy. Huh? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Listen, do you guys, you guys know how gold is refined? It's pretty interesting. First, they, they dig up the, the gold ore down deep in the earth, and they bring it up, and they take this ore, and they heat it up until it comes to a boil. And the, the, uh, the impurities start to bubble up to the top. They start to come to the surface. And then they remove it and they allow it to cool. And in doing so, it becomes more pure than it was before. And then guess what they do next? They put it back in the forge. They heat it up just as before and it starts to boil. And more impurities start to be boiled out. And they will do this over and over again. Sometimes they only have to do it a couple times. But for others, they have to do it many, many times. 
So last night I actually had dinner with my brothers, which is not something that we get to do very often. So it was a blessing to do that. Um, and uh, my brother Corey asked me if you could go back and do it all over again, start from the very beginning, do it all over again, what would you change? And I sat back and I thought about it a little bit. And I said, Corey, do you know how they refine gold? <laughs> and uh, I told him the story just as I told you how they do it. And then I told him I wouldn't change a thing. See, I've done some pretty terrible things in my life. But had those not happened, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Lord knows where I would be. You see, God has been refining me and refining us since the day we were born. And He's still doing it today. And you'll never be 100% gold. Maybe 99.999%. I don't know if we'll ever get there either. Uh, but what I'm telling you is that I'm not completely pure of heart. And God is still refining me today. But we can look at it this way. Blessed are those who have no competing loyalties in their heart. Think of it that way. And we all have those competing loyalties. We got work, right? We've got our, 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 the things that we cling to, that we find our identity in. Let it go. Let it go. You are salt. You are meant to be salt. That is your job. I hate my competing loyalties. My ideas that I have to please people that I'm around and that I have to look cool or impress people. We all have them. The only way that we can remove those competing loyalties, well, let me rephrase that. The only way God can remove those competing loyalties in our heart is by putting us back in the forge. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So I've, I was in the Marine Corps, so I'm very familiar with war and, and training for war and guns and the cool stuff that, you know, the guys like. Uh, so peacemakers is not something that comes naturally for me. Uh, but don't get it twisted. Peacefulness is not the, to be confused with acceptance of sin. You can love a person for the things that, for the person they are and the, that person that God created them to be. But don't get that twisted. It's not acceptance of sin. However, Jesus, Jesus does tell us to love and pray for our enemies. And it's a difficult one, I know. Uh, I, like I said, I struggle with it myself. But, and there's nothing I would want more than, than my enemies to be brought to justice. But the Bible tells us that, the, that justice is the Lord's. It's not ours. Now the last one, it's kind of a two-part combo, if you will. Um, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sakes of... Of, for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you 
and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You see, our influence of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, this is the righteousness that we live by. It will bring us persecution, and it already has. It's already started. We will be rejected because he was rejected, but we will be blessed because of that rejection. However, our influence does slow the rot and decay of our society. We are the single most precious commodity this world has. And yet we are seeing Christians persecuted all over the world. Canada, just north to us, has ordered the shutdown of all churches. And since, I don't know, a few months ago, we've already seen four, at least four pastors arrested for simply holding church service. And I believe that there will be more to come. And I believe that it will not be abroad, but it'll be right here in our own country. Here's the painful part is that there are still churches shut down today in America simply to be politically correct. Not because they have to. Things are kind of opening up. But just to be politically correct. But scripture tells us that that's going to be more frequent. It's going to happen more often. We're going to see it get worse. And there will come a time when government will try to dictate what we can and cannot preach about. But I stand up here speaking for both Michael and myself to give you our word that we will continue preaching the truth of God's word till the end. We, whether we are a church underground or we're arrested or even martyred for preaching the truth. But you must continue to be salt. When social media is rampant with ungodly thoughts and posts, we must remain salt. And when our political leaders are standing up for everything that we know is wrong, we must remain salt. And when our schools are being infiltrated with unbiblical ideas and teachings, we must remain the salt. And when evil creeps into our communities, we must remain the salt. And when temptation comes knocking at our door and threatens our family, we must remain the salt. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you are encouraged by the truth of God's Word. If you're in the Tulsa area and are looking for a local church family that teaches God's Word, then join us at 1030 every Sunday morning. Or you can join us live online on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Until next time, brothers and sisters, as Paul instructed, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you.